At approximately 5.15 p.m. on May 10th in 1967, three boys ages 11, 13, and 14 explore a cave near their house in Mark Twain's hometown of Hannibal, Missouri. Brothers Billy Hogue, Joel Hogue, and friend Craig Dow are never seen again. Making the case go cold for over 50 years. Using the facts from 1967, we reopen the case for the lost boys of Hannibal. Silence is golden, but my eyes still see. Silence is golden, golden, but my eyes still see. Talking is cheap, people follow like sheep. Welcome back to the Lost Boys of Hannibal podcast. My name is Frankie Cambaletta, and with me as always... Chris Ketters. Chris, how are you doing, sir? Ah, you know, not too bad. It's, uh, what, we're getting to the middle of August here, and, uh, man, a lot of stuff's going on. (laughs) There's nothing going on in the world of actual events, but there's a lot of stuff going on in the world of podcasts, and ours in particular. (laughs) That's the truth. Um, It's been an interesting... Uh, eight months that's to say the least this year's flown by and it doesn't seem like it has it still feels like it's march <laughs> in some in some respects um the new normal i guess uh but you know coming off last week's episode where we kind of once again we uncover and then we close another rabbit hole right the whole mayor thing is the mayor involved is the politics involved you know so that one's done and we move and we shift gears now to something that we've been talking about for the last month or so and that's jb tobin and and as anyone can tell as anyone can as anyone can um imagine chris the next two episodes will be chock full of J. A. tobin which brings us to an amazing review that we got about Guys, can you please get to the point? I find myself drifting. We would love to get to the point. Yes. <laughs> we, would, we would love it more than anything else. Um, we appreciate the constructive criticism. Unfortunately, our basically our signature, you know, our shtick is researching and then sharing that with the audience, but all the steps of researching, right? It's not something that we grabbed out of a a handbag. It's something that Chris was diving deep into the archives and he's really been the workhorse of this season trying to gather all this information and I gave him a account to my newspapers.com <laughs> I'm so mad which he, about that. <laughs> <laughs> which he's now filing for divorce um, because <laughs> he's, been, he's not filing for divorce. But what I'm saying is like it could take a lot of your time and I told him when, when I gave it to him like hey like if you if you log on you will not log out. Oh, I mean, so that is right. the truth. Because yeah. then you get because I mean, this is a good point too. You had that Facebook post where, you know, you have it from the the Daily uh, Capital, right? News. Yeah. And then you have the you know Helen Hogue and 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 Karis, and then right next to it's all Jay Tobin's like contract bid. So yeah. once again, that's what we we found ourselves with the lump film like that. We would be trying to find newspaper articles and then all of a sudden it'd be like you know the reds invade it's like what 
Yeah. <laughs> I'll call them the Reds. So, you know? so let me give you a couple things on that. Um, so first of all, going back to, to the comment. So that was a, a, a review we got, which again, we appreciate the three stars. So that at least you constructive criticism's good with three stars added on. We, we will take that. Um, but one of the things I want to point out about that is that, and we mentioned this a few podcasts ago, is that say for some reason we're gonna try frankie and i are trying so hard to make sure that we tried to get to the end of this mystery um and and that's what we've been doing for the past year and i'm sure there's gonna be many many more years involved with that uh goal however if for some reason we don't accomplish what we're trying to do i still imagine that somewhere down the road a hundred years down the road somebody's gonna be listening to this podcast and they're gonna have another idea or another thought and another progress or we're gonna have more train or more uh, more technology to work with so they can come back to this so even if we don't solve it today hopefully it's solved tomorrow or someday and so hopefully even if we can't do it then we can have them have everything at their hands to make their search and make their um, their investigation a little bit easier exactly exactly I mean all roads lead all roads lead to Rome and essentially um, you know we found ourselves in the same pit. Um, with the Lemp documentary, right? So when you watch the documentary, it's very different from all the research that was done, right? And this particular Lost Boys of Hannibal, the documentary won't be this long, right? The documentary is is um, really geared on our audience. It's really geared on the people that know the story and know more than they ever knew. And that would lead us into people that have never heard the story, which was another review from J.M. Booker One. He says, really love in-depth podcast on one subject. This podcast fit that bill. I had never heard about these boys until this podcast. It's very informative and investigate all avenues of this tragedy. Give it a listen. You won't be disappointed. So that's a five-star rating. Thank you so much, um, J.M. Booker One. That right there is kind of funny because it comes a day before <laughs> the, guy, the guy that wants to get us to the point, right. which was, um, <laughs> but as you can see, it's kind of a mixed bag and you know, we're not, I, don't, I wouldn't say that we're a love hate podcast. I would say that, you know, people always want to get to the juice real quick, but unfortunately we haven't found the kids. We haven't found where they are. We haven't found, we have some likely ideas and areas of where they might be. But we really don't have that juice yet, so we well, we hope to make that point real soon. And we know uh, we know even from our discussion group that so many people are taking this, which I find so great, is so many people are listening and then analyzing and thinking, oh, what's the different possibilities? And that's really what we want, is we want the people to think about what we're telling them. And, and some of it you might just skim over and it doesn't really mean much to you, but you know, there may be that one little piece of evidence that's like, ooh, what, wait, what about that? You know, And that's what we're trying to get to, is you know, we don't know the answer. Obviously, that's why it's called The Lost Boys, because they're not found, um, so you know, we're we're trying to get that information out to people so maybe maybe they had that one clue that 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 fills them in and frankie i do want to go back real quick let's talk about newspapers.com for a minute um because yeah um we may have to have a talk about that afterwards so if you give me that <laughs> password but uh i can tell you in this upcoming episode and even even with stuff about 
um, the law about the the May May nineteen sixty seven time frame. There is so much stuff out there, and, and it's funny that you'll see you'll see the AP press stories, you'll see the UPI stories. All those stories are coming out um, that they're releasing. That it's in hundreds of newspapers across the country. So um, it's really interesting to see those, and we've been posting some of them as we go along, and we'll keep doing that on our main Facebook page and on Instagram and some other stuff as well. But uh, yeah, it's a great resource, and even if you're uh, you know, you get really in depth and you like research, I would definitely suggest it. By the way, Frankie, I'm going to throw another plug out. I, I the first thing I did when I got newspapers dot com is I searched my name because that was your first suggestion to do <laughs> before yep. I dug in, <laughs> and uh, I found this interesting thing from back in 1913. There was a guy by the name of Handsome Jack Ketters that was um, unfortunately a uh, murderer <laughs> back in the, the early 1900s. So I had asked the family members, dude, do we know Handsome Jack? Uh, we don't know if he's a relative or not, but that was news to me. So that was my first uh, my first uh, uh, instance. Oh, it's, it's eye-opening. It's eye-opening. It definitely <laughs> yeah. is eye-opening. And, you know, one of the things that you said uh, to make a point of the research and when we are putting things out there, that's important. I mean, you do have... Um, KH3425, another great um, review here. It's a five-star review. And they're saying this is a well-researched show. You can tell how passionate the two hosts are about the subject. Uh, live to, love to hear people doing things for others and not just for money or fame. And that's very – the reason why I like this is because um, we recently spoke to a Hogue family member. They reached out to us based on what you were saying. Here, something triggered – inside their head when we were talking and going through some stuff that they wanted to bring to our attention. So the first thing I'm going to say is we're not bringing on the Hogue family onto the podcast uh, as of right now. Right now, they wish to remain um, kind of what happens, Chris, is that you get burned and you get burned out and you get a lot of people. I'm sure that they've been approached by TV stations and book writers and authors. And the one approach that we've always had is we never personally went after the family at all. And and we said that from the season one. And there was a reason. There was a method behind that. And that's just from the experience of doing documentaries that you really don't have to. Uh, when people live through tragedies, when they're willing to share what they know, they will talk. And hopefully, we're going to be that avenue for them. But for right now, uh, we had nothing but, but good tidings from them and some really interesting, um, really interesting thoughts that really bring us into this episode um, a lot. Chris. Yeah, it's uh, so yeah, let's dig into that a little bit before we dig into the construction company. And one thing that this person from the Hogue family mentioned to us was that there was a lot of interest by the Hogue family in the years following the boys' disappearance that turned their attention to the construction company. And that's very important. If you want to take anything out of this episode, that may be the most important thing, is that there was a lot of influence and law thought that there was some sort of foul doing. So much so that uh, Mike Hogue and Fred Hogue spent a lot of time on the road in the years following their disappearance. 
They traveled all over the country following leads. They received phone calls uh, from people saying, what about this? And they followed up on that. So, you know, and there was some, there was a comment. Uh, somebody said to me, like, I can't believe the family just said, uh, we're done with it. And that, that, that wasn't the case at all. Not true at all. They were Not true spending at all. hours and days and, and weeks investigating and trying to find where they're at. And, and even going back to the Dow family and, and, and Helen Dow, and you brought this up last episode, Frankie, was that, you know, they weren't too sure that they were in the caves. And, and come to find out, the, some of the Hogue family members felt the same way in the years following uh, their disappearance. Yeah, and remember Hogue's Tavern closes very soon after the boys' dis- disappearance. And, and this is, once again, it speaks to the level of where your heart is and where your objectives are and where your priorities are. And their priorities were finding their kids, finding their sons. And just to have that kind of confirmation from the family member that these guys were – I'd never I, – I would always – I would always expect that from a parent and from family members, but until you hear it that they actually did it, it makes so much more sense now that they followed up on every lead. And when you turn up, um, you know, empty, but you keep trying and keeping your last foot. I mean, even Dee Dee, uh, the the oldest sister, right? That she's brought up a lot on Facebook, and you know, she really can't speak for herself anymore. She has passed on, but. From the interviews that I've saw, says I've never met Dee Dee, of course, but from the interviews that I gather from her, she never stopped looking and searching and hoping and wondering. And she even said in one of her, the last interview she did, she said that technology would change the game. And so with that, Chris, we, we do have some, some interesting things to share on the next episode about boots on the ground and stuff, but we'll get into that on the next episode. But right now, let's take a turn um, to Hannibal, 1967, but a little bit pre-1967. Let's let's look at the 1960s road construction boom that was happening all over America. And one of those construction companies that was making a lot of money <laughs> was J.A. Yeah. Tobin. Yeah, and one of the things I do want to mention about what, what you just said, too, is that again, these next two episodes talking about Tobin construction, it, it, there's a lot of information here. And uh, I'm going to take a second and just to let the people, let listeners know that the reason why there's so much information is because of what the Do- Hogue family and the Dowell family said. I don't want to miss anything because there could be one crucial crucial piece of evidence that, that may crack something open that we're not aware of. So um, again, my apologies if these two episodes seem really long, but I think you're going to find some very interesting stuff out about it. But we got to start at the top, like you said. We have to start about why the construction company uh, got to where they were. And that was something neat. And Frankie, you're real close to this. You're in St. Louis. You know, the whole interstate boom thing started in the 50s. And it was 1956. I got to tell this because I think this is the coolest story ever. Um, Missouri claims to have the first contracts under the new program for the interstate system. And I think it's called the Franklin D. Eisenhower system, if I remember correctly. Uh, but uh, so the very first one is actually an upgrade of Route 66 to Interstate 44. Uh, and so if you ever go to St. Louis and you're on I-70 now... There's a sign as you're crossing the Missouri River that says this is where the interstate system started at. So it's pretty cool that, you know, just two hours down from Hannibal in St. Louis is where the interstate system started. The reason why I bring that up is because our friends Tobin's, uh, the J.A. Tobin Construction Company, that's what they're all about. And it's it's more often than not that they're getting bids approved for uh, interstate projects than they are just regular U.S. or uh, Missouri highways or something like that, like Highway 79 is. So that's where it all comes from. And it's really helped because if you look at the numbers, Frankie, 
and we'll get into that in a little bit in depth a little bit more in a minute here but if you get into the numbers there is a lot of money that the government is spending in this time frame to create this internet internet interstate system in the united states yeah i i think that when you when you look at it from the public sector i mean that is really where the money is because regardless of what's happening in the economy the public sector still has to create and perform you know, we, very rarely do you see like, you know, all of, you know, Washington go on strike. It happens. It does happen. We've seen it in our lifetime a couple of times. But usually when you have like park services and any kind of construction, any kind of government, i.e. contract, there's a series of, of getting those bids that I think we're going to cover. But at the same time, this was a great time if you were doing and knew how to do road construction to get those bids you could probably be set the rest of your life with a couple contracts. Yeah, yeah definitely so. So so that's kind of when things get started and, and really, you know, you have the the creation of the Missouri Highway Commission in this time frame as well. They're the ones that are approving the bids for these uh, road construction projects, not only for interstates, but also for U.S. highways and uh, also for like uh, Missouri routes. So, and it's funny, if you're not from Missouri, which I think is really unique, but uh, if you don't have a numbered highway system, uh, they actually switch the letter highways so you have everything from uh, route route a to route zz in the state of missouri which is kind of unique to 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 uh missouri and uh pretty interesting but let's switch over and go to the next thing and that's the bid process and i want to go ahead and give a shout out to a, a friend of mine uh, we worked together when uh, i was in the radio world and i was able to reach out to him his name's brian hafner he is a former modot northeast district engineer and uh, so he dealt with all the stuff uh he dealt with uh anything from the beginning of a construction project to finding the you know helping find the the right bidders all that stuff so I asked him a few questions. I first of all I wanted to talk to him about the bid process in, in the '60s, and, and also I had talked to him about um, like I specifically just to let you guys know I did ask him like why would they choose to cut through this huge chunk of uh, of of you know block to make this road and he didn't have an answer for that. He says usually it has something to do with the impact the the the. Um, the impact as an environmental impact. So there's, but he didn't know the specifics of why they did. And that comes down to something that they have in Missouri. And it's something I actually put on our um, Help Wanted, which we still have on our Facebook page. And we've had some great responses for that. But uh, I'm looking for this too. It's called the, uh, the short-term answer question is called the MoDOT Spec Book. And the, each year, the Missouri Department of Transportation would put out this book and they would hand it to all these construction companies and say, hey, this is what we need for the roads. This is what uh, this is how far the median needs to be. This is how wide the road needs to be. This is how far ev all everything you can think of is in this book. And so it does detail that. So hopefully someday we can get a hold of that and kind of put pieces to pieces and be able to try to figure out what exactly uh, they needed to do for the uh, Highway 79 project. Now, the other part of that was the environmental impact study. Uh, environmental impact studies are very common today. We just had a bridge here in Louisiana installed uh, a few years ago, brand new bridge across the Mississippi River. It took them years to do environmental impact study and trying to place the location of where the bridge was going to go, how it was going to have the least amount of impact on uh, everything from birds to businesses and everything in between. So, uh, But the interesting thing is that 
they didn't really have those back in 67. Now, Brian did tell me that there was something that they did that, that was like that, but it wasn't specifically an environmental impact study. And ironically enough, later on, we'll talk about it, I believe in the next episode, is that Missouri in 1969, I believe, went ahead and created a requirement for environmental impact studies. So just two years later, it became a requirement, but we're not sure if it actually um, was a requirement in 67 or not. So that's just kind of an overview. Uh, And going back to the bid process, Things are a little, were a little bit different in the 60s, but not a whole lot different than what they are today. You submit your bid. Typically, they're going to take the lowest bid on the on the, the poll, which you'll see as we go along. Tobin is notorious for being the lowest bidder, which can be good, can be bad in the uh, world of, uh, of bids. But uh, so that kind of is an overview. I just want to let you know, too, I have a, a couple calls, and, I, and this isn't this is going to be a long term thing, but I got a call into the design division at MoDOT, and also uh, got to put in another freedom of information request form because I didn't have enough time to get that in there to see if they do have some sort of impact study for Route 79 so we can get an idea of why they would even cut out this huge chunk of block anyway to start with. And, you know, obviously, if they didn't, Frankie, if they didn't cut all that out we may not even be sitting here doing this podcast today i've often thought about that i've often thought about the fact that you know why did they need that road um you know you're a truck driver by trade um you know you know more more or less about you know why these things are necessity why they expand why they blow these things over because you know you save time you know there's more money to be made with less time right time is money this is where all that stuff kind of comes from right uh the yeah, so I mean, Tobin is in kind of the middle of it. The low bid stuff is something that still happens in every. I mean, I work in the public sector because, you know, it's today is very different. It's not you're not guaranteed to win anything if you have the lowest bid. A lot of times, it actually scares customers that you came in so low, um, just because they're anticipating that the project won't be done because you came in too low. Mm-hmm. So. I think that in the 1960s, it looked like, oh, yeah, they can do it for this. And then after a couple of failures and, and unfinishing and over hours and overestimates, you know, that stuff kind of walks out the door. So it's still very, you know, today it, it's a it's a strategy on how to win a bid. Um, you know, you go in low. But my thing is, is that somebody must have known that they were coming in low. Yeah. I mean, with them opening the bids up, yeah, that's a good thing. And then you, you're already kind of hinting into something that we're definitely going to reach into later, and, and that is you have this you have this Missouri Highway Commission, and you have them that uh, are making the determinations on who's doing this stuff. And then you know, obviously, when you get into these big money items like what we're talking about. How much influence do they have? I mean, you know, who's 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 giving them cookies every morning when they walk out the door um, to make sure that bid gets in their hands? So yeah, I, I think I know where you're going with that. So sure, I mean it's the it's the RFP process, right? You know, it's a request for proposal. So there's the RFQ. So first there's RFI, there's RFQ, and then RFP. Mm-hmm. And your first is request for information. So a company puts it out, like, what do you do? Who are you? What's your experience level? Da, 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 da. That'll go to a proposal, request for a proposal. Okay, like what you do. Give me like what your estimate will be. And then after you get your estimate in, you have this bid that comes in at $13 million. You have a bid that comes in at 5 
million dollars, which is like, all right, this is Tobin here. It came in way lower. Mm-hmm. Now I want to see your request for qualifications. And this all is the standard today. Um, you get your request for qualifications coming, and then from that point, they really make a decision uh, based on those qualifications and your bid number. So if you come in low and then your qualifications kind of like are stinted, they're like, mm. This is why they probably came in low. They don't have enough services. So just a little edification for people out there yeah. in that process. That's great. That's really good information right there. So uh, anyway, let's move on. So the next thing on the list, I just it's something I've mentioned before, but I want to go ahead and put this out there so people know exactly what I asked for. I did do a freedom of information request to MoDOT. Um, this was back late last year that I did it, and it took them a couple months to get back with me on it. But I do want to tell people what I asked for. Um, I said all items, unless noted, pertain to 1967 construction of Highway 79 south of Hannibal, specifically within and just south of the Hannibal city limits. The contract was awarded to J.A. Tobin Construction Company. The seven things I asked for were the paperwork for the bid solicitation to contractors, all bids submitted to the state for the construction project, the actual start date of the project, the projected and actual finish date, an outline of the sections of the road that were contracted. Uh, so like if they were, um, if they differed from that of the bid solicitation. And then also I asked any paperwork pertaining to the 1967 construction project submitted to the state and from J.A. Tobin Construction Company, including any names of any subcontractors that J.A. Tobin (laughs) hired during the process. And then the last one was any other construction projects in Northeast Missouri awarded to J.A. Tobin between 1960 and 1970. So those are what I asked. It took him like two months, maybe even more, to get back to me, and this is what I got back. The Missouri Department of Transportation has reviewed its files, and due to the age of the records requested, the only documents available are the commission meeting minutes. Please log into the Public Records Center to retrieve your records. That's it. (laughs) But... There was some interesting stuff in those meeting notes, weren't there? Yes. So we did get one little piece of evidence, a little one little piece uh, to to find out, and this comes from the Highway Transportation Commission me- meeting minutes from July fourteenth and fifteenth of nineteen sixty six. And the one thing we come out with is that it shows us how much the construction project was going to cost for Highway seventy nine. Uh, and it's interesting because it's broken into two sections here, okay? Uh, and uh, I, if you're interested, by all means, send us information, ask for it. I can give you everything you need to know. But the big thing to come out of this is the numbers. So it says here that the contract price plus 10% for one section was $1.1 million. So that's your first your first income, okay? Is one point one. And then there was a second section. I think it's divided into two sections because they were also going into Rawls County too. So I'm assuming that they broke it. So uh, wherever that Rawls County line's at, it probably switches over to this number, and that's nine hundred and twelve thousand dollars. So you're looking at about one, almost actually a little over two million dollars. Uh, that was awarded to Tobin for that construction project. Unfortunately, we don't know the distance. And you'll see later, and I'll post this on Facebook later, but you'll see that it doesn't seem like distance matters. So I've seen projects that they did that were four-tenths of a mile and cost $1.7 million. And I've seen projects that were seven or eight miles long and cost $900,000. So it, there's a lot of factors that go into those decisions. But right. to just tell you the numbers for this one, you're looking at about two hundred, excuse me, $2 million for this project that Tobin did. So there you go. 
So that's very good information. And remember last week when we were talking about the mayor and talking about the money from the state that uh, that Hannibal was also participating in? There is a little subnote in this section. It says the city of Hannibal to reimburse state an estimated four thousand five hundred and fifty nine dollars on this project. So they had forty five hundred dollars committed to a two million dollar project. <laughs> that's insane. So, but that's some interesting information. So, give you the background on that. So, now we can switch over. Unless you have any questions, Frankie, we can dig deep into Tobin. Do we know of any other company that might have bid that didn't win the bid? Um, See, and that's the thing. Do they have any rivals or anything? No. Um, I went through all the research, um, through all the newspapers I could find, and there's nothing that talks about who the next lowest bidder was or anything like that. There are other companies. There are a few other companies that you'll see as we go, and I don't really talk about them much, but looking in the research and looking through old newspapers, there always seemed like there was one or two companies that were right there, but they weren't as low bidding as Tobin. Now, don't get me wrong. There's also construction projects they didn't win because they weren't the lowest bidder. So it wasn't like they were super lowballing everything. They were, right. but they were consistently lower than most people. They definitely had an inside track. They definitely had somebody that was, um, you know, helping them out on the inside, which is against the law by all means in a public sector bid, but it happens all the time. Um, you know, that you'll always have somebody that's kind of getting a little – you know, they'll get a nice little gift for Christmas, like a wallet or something full of cash or something like that, just to help them kind of get that bid. That that stuff happens all the time, and it's happened in, in my career in advertising as well. So um, I'm just curious to see if anybody's out there in the audience that might have worked for another company that was the rival of Tobin, because sometimes you have the same people that work for the same companies, and there's a reason why they quit their job and go work somewhere else, and maybe they have some information about what happened in 1967 if they're still out there. Um, just stuff like that, some dirt on the, the rival or the nemesis, if you will. So with that, Chris, I mean, are we going to talk about the history of Tobin? or? Yeah, a little bit. Uh, we can start Who by... Is Tobin? <laughs> yeah, who is Tobin? That's a good question. And I, you know, honestly, I it took me almost to the end of my research to find out which person was actually Tobin. <laughs> who was J.A. Tobin? Uh, but I, we can tell you a little bit of information. That comes from a newspaper article that I was able to find. And it actually goes back to the changes to the Tobin firm. And it talks about uh, the construction company was actually founded in 1928 by the late Joseph A. Tobin. That's where your J.A. comes from, is Joseph A. Tobin. Uh, they were founded uh, in, like I said, 1928. Their address was 3700 Rainbow Boulevard, which we'll talk about more later on because they had issues there. Uh, what happened was, as Tobin became president, uh, and this is Joseph E. Tobin, which we'll talk about later as well, uh, he bought it from his, his father, Joseph A. Tobin, and he became president. He was president uh, for quite a, lo quite a few years, and then he switched over and he and this is where this article came from, is actually he switched over and gave the presidency of the office or to of the company to uh, Patricia O'Rourke, which I believe we've talked about in the past. Uh, she is uh, she was the vice president and then secretary and then she became chairman of the board. Uh, so that all um, that's kind of a, a, a overview of it. Well, that that explains some of their wins then. What do you mean? So if a female runs a company from a chairman's standpoint, it's a minority-owned business, and they are likely more likely to get certain bids. 
now now uh patricia didn't really take over and i don't have a specific date and i apologize i should have put the date of when this article was uh i could search for it but there's like I have like 200 articles now of Tobin, so it would take me a while to find it. Um, but honestly, uh, Joseph E. Tobin was the guy that was mainly in charge in the 60s and 70s. I don't think it was until like the 80s that that Patricia took over. So it was more okay. later on in the, the, the timeline and the in the world of, of Tobin's history. Um, so yeah, that gives you a little bit of overview. Now, one thing I do want to talk about, speaking of overviews, is talking about... The first thing I did when I started researching this was every time, and I, I think I, I sent you a picture, Frankie, when I was doing it, I had all these little note piece, little pieces of note card in front of me, and I was writing down what highway, what year, and how much was awarded in the bid. And I got to the point where I had so many pieces of paper on my desk that I had to just like, all right, I just got to make an Excel sheet because this, exactly. is, this is crazy. Um, and this is Excel sheet. I'll, I'll, I'll pass along. We'll have it on our, uh, on our discussion group. But here's the bottom line of this is if you've driven in Missouri since 1960, you've driven on a road that Tobin has constructed. At some point in time. So just, I'm just going to throw numbers out here. So anything from Interstate 29, 35, 435, 635, Interstate 70 um, is, is a couple of the interstates. Then you have such things as uh, US 169, 159, US 24, US 40, US 54, 63, 69, 71, 73. Uh, Kansas Turnpike was part of their responsibility. Route 29, 65. Yeah. Highway 13, Highway 9. <laughs> So this is uh, Missouri, Kansas, and they did a little bit of work in Oklahoma. Um, and so here's the thing, Frankie, is that between, and I only did search between like 19, let's just say 1955 to like 1970. Yeah. And here's a number for you. The number I came up with in that time frame, $1.69 million awarded to Tobin in construction bids. It's a lot of money at that point in time. $1.69 million. Yeah, and, and you're looking at you're looking at 1960s numbers. I mean, what, inflation today would probably put it over eight, nine million. Uh, maybe that's a little too high, but that's a little maybe a little high. Yeah. But it's no matter what, it's it's a big number. So, um, so it's really interesting. But you know what, uh, Tobin is more. You would think we've been talking roads. That's not all they did. They've had a lot of other things. So they did some sewer projects. They built bridges, and one of the things I found really interesting. Actually, there's a few things I'll go through here that I find pretty interesting. Dams and reservoirs. They built a lot of dams, and I'll just go through a couple of them. Truman Dam, uh, which is west of the Osage River, so you got Lake of the Ozarks, if you're familiar with Lake of the Ozarks. There's another system, another uh, dam system to the west of Lake of the Ozarks, and that was built by uh, Tobin, as well as the Smithfield Dam in northeast of Kansas City, the Hillsdale Dam near uh, Hillsdale, Kansas, and uh, also um, the... Um, there's a there's a few others as well. I found there's one that was like Oskaluska or something like that. Oka Oka. I don't. I can't pronounce it, but it was in Oklahoma. So those are some of the the uh, dams and reservoirs they did. But here's another interesting thing. If you've been on our Facebook page in the last few days, you saw a picture 
And the picture was of a place in Kansas City from a newspaper article, and it was called the Jackson County Stadium, which today is referred to as the Harry S. Truman Sports Complex. And do you know who plays there? Kansas City Royals. Kansas City Royals and the Kansas City Chiefs. The, so the uh, Tobin Construction Company actually laid the groundwork for that complex. Um, we have the reports back in from our intern. Uh, it's seventeen million dollars. So you were kind of oh, right on, whoa. right on track. I was actually kind of low. Um, yeah, it's ten per- ten times more now. Wow. So, yeah. yeah, pretty crazy. Yeah. Um, so, but yeah. So, so that was another place. They also were responsible for airport runways. So they did things like Kansas City International. They added some some uh, added five hundred feet to the existing north south runway. Um, just to give you a little more information, because I think this. M- I, I had this wild harebrained idea that I told Frankie the other night, and he thought it was crazy. But uh, they started construction of that in 1966. They also did some grading and draining. And then later on, they did some groundwork for the TWA when they moved to the new airport, uh, which is Kansas City International Airport. Uh, they also did Whiteman Air Force Base. They did the uh, runways for that place, as well as the Fairfax Municipal Airport. And then the one last thing I will point out to you real quick here is, because I found it interesting, I... I was going to deep dive in it, but I decided not to. Uh, The Tobin Apartment and Neighborhood Center. This was uh, an idea that was made back in 1966 because of this urban renewal agency that was in Kansas City and actually it was part of their property. So Tobin's like, hey, we're going to build this huge complex with these apartments and hotels and businesses. And this is our presentation. So they presented it to the Urban Renewal Board our agency and the agency said, no, nah, no, we're good. <laughs> <laughs> so that was back in 1966. So that kind of wraps up a overall view of all the stuff that uh, Tobin's been involved with. So again, it's not just roads. There's a lot more to Tobin construction. Did Tobin ever donate anything? Land, property, adopt a highway, oh, kind of like what the Con- Continental uh, Cement Company did with the parks? No, no. <laughs> No, there's so many, and again, another thing I found, I didn't save a lot of them. I saw a lot of uh, property transactions, real estate transactions. There was never any donations involved with those real estate transactions. There was always money involved. So, um, yeah, so you didn't see that happen very often. (laughs) Interesting. Yeah. Uh, one other thing I'll point out real quick, and I found this pretty interesting. It come, it has to do with an article in the Kansas City Star back in May 21st of 1967. So that was, what, nine days? 11 days after our boys missed what disappeared. Um, this actually talks about, um, I'll just read it to you. It says, five Kansas City companies are among the 400 largest contractors in the United States. In a list compiled by Engineering News Record Magazine, the top firms here were J.F. Pritchard & Company, ranked number 56. Uh, the other four included Ma- Mossman Construction, which Mossman was one of them that I was mentioning that they were always in, in bid competition with Tobin. Uh, Mossman was one was number 158, and then it comes to this Wind Center construction was 187, and our Tobin Construction Group comes in at 204. So they are ranked number 204 in construction companies in 1967. And Jack's back. And Jack's back. <laughs> our third co-host. That's right. So it's pretty interesting that, uh, again, talking about how big the Tobin Construction Company was, they were all the way up there in the um, top 200, pretty much. 
that's incredible. Um, and this is, you know, Kansas City wants time at this point in time too. Man, there's a, there's a lot on Kansas City. There's a lot, a lot about Kansas City. But we'll <laughs> stick to Jay Tobin, uh, and then well, I guess we're gonna move to, uh, you know, they they've built more than just roads. So the, did they do the quarry in Hannibal as well? Or was that another price? Was that another no, 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 that was always so. So that's a good good point. There is a lot of quarries on the south side of Hannibal, and those were always done by uh, continental cement, which that's what they're called today. Uh, man, somebody's somebody's going to yell at me, but I cannot remember what they were called before they were continental cement. Um, they had a different name, but I can't remember what it was. But that company did most of the work uh, for those quarries, and there's a ton of them. You look at satellite images for the south side, especially if you go about a mile south of Hannibal, maybe two miles, there's a ton of quarries to the south of Hannibal. South of of the of the uh, cutout caves, so. Wow, so they're doing a bunch of work. They're making over seventeen million dollars in construction. They are in the top four hundred contractors in Missouri. They're in top number two hundred four. Top yeah, yeah top uh, two hundred. Top two hundred. Yeah, close to top two hundred. Uh, so they're a Fortune two hundred. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then uh, talk to me about the Nemo projects. What's this about? So uh, Nemo is a, a short term. You, uh, Frankie has the outline in front of him, but that's Northeast Missouri. So we refer to it as Nemo. <laughs> uh, but uh, yeah. I thought we were going to go Disney with it. And yeah, no, it, no, no Disney today. I think, think we have to pay for that. Um, because boys are lost. And that's the whole premise. <laughs> nice. <laughs> finding Nemo. That's that's ironic. Uh, one of the things, and I we'll get to this in a little bit here, because I kind of want to get Frankie's thoughts on uh, the different scenarios but i wanted to throw out there the other projects that that tobin was responsible for that were within the vicinity of the hannibal project so let's go through these real quick there's a 5.7 mile span on i-70 that was leading to the missouri river on the west side in 1958 in 1966 so this is uh right in our time wheel our wheelhouse Tobin was working on US-54. US-54 is a four-lane highway from Mexico, Missouri, down to the Lake of the Ozarks now. And it goes through the state capital, Jefferson City. They were working on a section between Jefferson City and the Moru River. So it was about nine miles. Interesting thing about this is this is one of the projects that I can for sure tell you that Tobin was also working on when they were working on the Hannibal project because this scheduled completion was not going to be till fall of 1967. So this is one project for sure that was going on at that time. Also in April of 67, there was a couple projects that were announced, but this would have probably been after the time frame of the Hannibal project. Uh, there was a, they did Marion County, uh, in Marion County, they had 5.7 miles of grading and uh, as well as the culvert and bridges and resurfacing of uh, US-24 through Palmyra. And then also they had a 2.5 mile stretch of shoulder stabilizing on US-24 from Route 24 to, uh, uh, so business Route 24, you, you can look at a map. It's kind of, uh, there's a place called the, uh, called, uh, um, the rocket it's a, a gas station and hannibalans know what that is but they were working on that route 24 to 61 connection and then also they were um they were also doing some other projects as well uh the from that commission meeting we can tell you this too that they were also working on us 36 
in Marion County. But that must have been a pretty small project because its state funding was only $9,747 for that project. So, and this was in Marion County. So it could have been anywhere from Hannibal to uh, Monroe City would be what Highway 36 is in Marion County. So that is kind wow. of an overview. But I guess if you want to pull anything out of that um, to take with you is that they were doing the work at the time of the boys' disappearance in Jefferson City. And I also do want to point out real quick... Um, Actually, you know what? We'll get to that in a second. Frank, do you have anything else that you wanted to add to that? No. I, I think that it's it's incredible the amount of um, time that J.A. Tobin spent in this area of Missouri. Uh, you know, and it's something to really consider, too. You, you know, the theories keep coming up. And like you said, they're even coming from the actual immediate family, the people that faced this trauma. Uh, might have and speculated that something happened with that construction crew and the boys. The boys were where they were not supposed to be. To have that much knowledge of an area, to have built upon, you know, all of Hollywood, all these different things that are happening in and out of Missouri and the flexibility of Kansas City if you're not in Missouri, which is something that we really have to start doing. Kansas City is about three and a half hours from Hannibal, give or take, to the west. Okay, so basically, if you look at the state of Missouri, St. Louis is on the east side on the line, and Kansas City is on the west side on the line. So Kansas City or Kansas, um, this is where the president made the mistake. I don't know if you guys remember that, but (laughs) it's easy to make that mistake, right? Because Kansas City is both in Missouri and it is in Kansas City. It's in Kansas, yeah. In Kansas, right? So St. Louis is in Illinois, but it's also in Missouri. And that's basically their opposite ends of the spectrum. And then Hannibal, Hannibal is actually closer to St. Louis than it is um, Kansas City. So if, you, if you're if you not from this area, because we have a lot of listeners in Florida and in, Cal- in California and in Texas. So if you've never been to Missouri, that's kind of how that grid is. And you have Jay Tobin, which is sitting in Kansas City, winning stuff on the east side of the state, mm-hmm. which in and of itself says something as well. You know, I'm sure that the construction companies that were only two hours away versus these guys in Kansas City coming in to do the work, there must have been a lot of rivalries there. But the the possibility of these people being aware of different directions, all the different digs going on within their own things, that if they needed to uh, cover something or hide something, it would have been very possible for them to do something like that. I mean, well, in fr- don't get me wrong, it's far-fetched, but... yeah. Let's get into let's get into a, a piece of that and kind of wrapping this up is there were other now I mentioned that the US 54 project uh, in Jefferson City was going on at that time that wasn't the only project going on uh, by by Tobin Construction Company in that time frame it was the only project that was nearby let me go through the list real quick there's a, a few of them here of just what projects okay. were going on during 1967 so they had US 69 in Clay County Clay County's uh, over by Kansas City US 54 as I mentioned they were also working on Interstate 35 downtown Kansas City they were working on that area. Also, this one's interesting because I had to look it up on Google Maps. If you've been to Kansas City, you've drive through the interstates, you've gone downtown, there's this one section, it's on Interstate 670, where you go underneath a convention center and underneath a hotel. You, the interstate actually goes underneath a hotel. 
that area was also a construction area for Tobin. They were the ones that were digging out those areas and actually mentioned in an article about how it was going to have like 50 foot sides on each side of the, of the interstate. And that's how it is today. Uh, it still is today. So they were working on that I-67. Then also late 1967, they were doing work in Clay County on Interstate 35 and also on Interstate 130 or in Jackson County and Clay County on Interstate 135. So they were doing one, two, three, four, five, six road projects in 1967 in Missouri. Unbelievable. Oh, so and, and don't let, let me not let me also point out they were also working on the Kansas City Airport runways at that time frame too. <laughs> Which I've had that conversation with you. Yeah. I don't rule anything out. I think that what makes this podcast, you know, five stars is the fact that we do look at every avenue. We do look at every um, bit of possibility. And it's something that we'll share with you soon about some more of our theories and, and bringing some other theories to light around, you know, the, the the different occasions that we have and what we go through as researchers, as armchair sleuths, is trying to figure out this mystery. And like Chris said in the beginning of the show, you know, if it's not us, we definitely lend it a helping hand somewhere if somebody does find them. And I think that that for us is the ultimate goal. The ultimate goal to start this podcast was never to become millionaires and become famous and to have bronze statues of ourselves or books and book signings. I mean, we'd love to meet you guys and have some mozzarella sticks at my favorite place, the Mark Twain Brewery, which, you know what? I should just have, my face should be, there should be a dish. <laughs> they should just say that it's Frankie's Mott yeah. Sticks. That's that's all I yep. want. I didn't want a bronze statue. You don't have to put my last name. Just put your name just on a food. Just put Frankie's Mott Sticks. Just put my, put my name on a food, Chris. <laughs> um, but I swear to God, they're going to be running out of this. This the, People are listening in Hannibal. They're just ordering a takeout right I now. I really hope they're, they're like, gonna... when we go back there next time, they're like, oh, you're the Frankie everybody's talking about. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, mention my name when you buy the mozzarella sticks because they will not know who I am, and it makes me so happy. And then you can say, oh, they're the guys in the Lost Boys of Hannibal podcast. He loves your mozzarella sticks. And then I'm going to get like a 50-pound box sent to yeah, Chris right. of just mozzarella sticks. <laughs> anyway, sorry to derail. Um, but that is you know, one of the things, too, that when you get into it more lively um, – you know, it is this uh, structure of building a podcast that's basically looking at every possible avenue. So the runway theory, Chris, is very possible. Yeah. Um, it, uh, yeah, I guess, you know what? I was going to hold off on the crazy and weird till next episode, but I think we'll go ahead and add a little bit of snippet onto this one. Because this one really, this episode is is... You know, if you were going to stop the podcast right now, you'd be like, "Oh, Tobin sounds like a good construction company. They, they're doing everything mm-hmm. right. They're getting these bids. They're 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 doing this work." Wait till the next episode. But let's <laughs> talk about let's talk about scenarios. And, and, and this is the first thing. And again, I I'm going to go far out, and I can already tell there's there's a guy that was on our Facebook discussion group that's going to be like, "You just just be quiet, Chris." But Here's a thought, is that, you know, the first thing that popped in my head going to the Kansas City airport was that, okay, say something happened where the boys um, 
actually, let me step back a little bit. There's a scenario here that's that's I feel is realistic, and the scenario that's kind of more far-fetched. The realistic part of this scenario is that there is a possibility that something did happen to the to the boys by the construction company. So let's say that they jumped into a hole, and a bulldozer was coming, and covered that hole up and crushed the crushed the boys. And the const- to break you up right there, that actually happened to a worker. In 62. Really? J.A. Tobin. You actually posted an article, and that exact scenario happened at a J.A. Tobin site where a worker basically tripped, fell into the hole, and was stuck down there. Actually, I know what you're talking about. He didn't, he didn't, yeah. he didn't fall into a hole. He fell off onto a conveyor and then fell into a hopper, and the rocks crushed him. They fell in on him. Okay. Yeah, so I do know what you're talking about on that. Um a little different. Yeah, but, but a, little different. a little bit. Uh, but here's the scenario is that... <laughs> but sh- but stuff like that happens. Yeah, yeah right? exactly. And we'll talk yeah. about that a lot more in the next episode. But so what I really feel like could happen is that... So the bulldozers come along. They, they cover them up with rocks, maybe crush them, probably crush them in this scenario. And they realize what they did. Here's the thing is we know that the boys were last seen at 5.15. The Mark Twain Rescue Squad didn't show up till after 7.30 that night. Because remember, they had training, and we questioned that in Season 1 of like, man, why did it take the Rescue Squad two hours to get there? So, yep. And we also know that when they did get there at 7.30, they went straight to Murphy's Cave. They did not go to the cutout. Right. Eventually that night, according to the Mark Twain Rescue Squad, they did go to the uh, cutout section but it was much later it wasn't even at 7 30 that night it was much later on that night so here's a bad scenario for you just to, to leave you feeling something is that what if the, the tobin construction company knew what they did so they have to cover it up they have two hours to cover it up they have from 5 15 to 7 30 before anybody even knows what's going on up there at the cutout point it's a, it, I, I, I want to say it's a far-fetched scenario, but I don't think it is. Because uh, I think it goes back to what we were just talking about with the Hogue family member saying we're questioning what was going on with the construction company. And, and honestly, if you want to throw any scenario out there, you could throw abduction by a, 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 um, abduction by a worker in there as a possibility. But I don't think it's as strong as the idea of some sort of accident happening where the boys get killed and the construction company has to cover it up. So look at it from the Occam's razor standpoint, right? Least amount of assumptions. If I'm last seen at 515 on top of Lover's Leap and my route home is to go through a construction site and I go missing. Yeah. Right, exactly. <laughs> it's, it's not that far-fetched, right? Occam's razor says least amount of assumptions. They're somewhere in the road construction, not in Murphy's Cave. Yeah. And we're not saying that a it was purposefully done by a road crew. These trucks are earth movers you cannot see in front of you most of them have guides so there's a person working the truck in the front and there's a person in the cockpit and they're actually signaling each other so he doesn't hit certain things or run over somebody right so we have that type of equipment we have bulldozers we have things that if you're down in a cave he's not going to be able to know that you're down in there you know what Mm -hmm. i'm saying so you're they're covering you up and this is one of the things that we saw a post not too long ago and i wish i had it in front of me because i could give the person credit but she, she raised a really good point. Like, you work on road construction. You work with dynamite all the time. You never know what the color of dynamite, when it gets water on it, turns red. You don't know that that's dynamite yeah. at that point. That's a good point. Like, it's a very clear distinction what blood is versus what 
And I would love to test this theory. I would love to get that material and put it in water and see how different it is from actual blood that we can get from a butcher. But you know what I'm saying? Like when you do it in that types of scenarios, these are good things for the documentary as well. Like, I'm sorry, there's a whole full of blood. Somebody usually would have came out and said, oh, listen, if I walked into a gallery and an artist was painting something and it's a stain, I'm like, oh my God, that's really cool. Like, how do you do it with paints? Well, that's not, that's not a painting, that's a stain. Because mm-hmm. he's an expert in his field, right. right? So if you're doing this and you're working with dynamite <laughs> all the time because you're blowing stuff up constantly, don't you think for like one second that you have this person walk by oh no no that's not blood that's what happens when dynamite and, and water mix. Well, i think you bring up a, a, a let's 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 throw that out to the people here frankie if there's somebody that's uh experienced in the field or, or has a profession of being working with dynamite and has the capability of <clears throat> and I, i'm gonna assume that the dynamite itself is not what gives it the red pigment i'm gonna get our red color if it gets wet i'm gonna guess there's some sort of some sort of chemical or some sort of thing in that dynamite that makes that color. So if somebody has access to that, to where we can use it, not to blow something up, but to put water on it to test the color. Um, We're on a list now, Chris. We're yeah, on a list. Man, <laughs> I said the wrong words. Um, but it would be. I think you're a great point. I think that's a, a great thing. We need to go ahead and do a contrast of what you know uh, blood looks like compared to dynamite color. Um, I do want to go back though. Uh, I talked about how I didn't think that was far-fetched. My far-fetched point, and I brought up to you, goes back to the Kansas City airport. And more so, also, why I'm bringing, and I put a lot of emphasis on the US 54 down by Jefferson City, is because, okay, let's go back to our reasonable reasonable thought that they did get killed by the construction company. They have two hours to remove the bodies. They take the bodies and move them. Where are you going to move them to? You know, that's the biggest question. A possibility would definitely be, hey, we have a construction site an hour and a half away down in Jefferson City that we can easily bury bodies at. So there's one possibility. Now, my far-fetched possibility was is that we got another scenario where we have a, a runway being built in Kansas City and, and they're under a runway in Kansas City. Not so likely. But, you know, the idea isn't so far-fetched, in my opinion, if we're going to go down that rabbit hole that they might be in Jefferson City. You know what? You're talking to a 100% bloodline Italian that actually has family members that listen to this show that said, hey, don't mention my name. <laughs> but you know what I'm saying? <laughs> but it's the truth. Like, I've actually talked, I mean, I've told you per- personally, like, the conversations that I've had with my family. And, you know, I, I asked um, them not too long ago, and he basically told me, he says, Frankie, yeah, I honestly think that, like, you know, it's it would be like a surprise that a construction company could hide a body. I mean... <laughs> Come on, man. So, um, <laughs> so for some people, it's not far fetched. For others, it's just like, yeah, no, that's the norm, bro. That's what happens when you know you make a mistake like that. And you're talking about you're talking about an accident that could basically end your seventeen million dollar run. Yeah, you're talking about all the laborers, all the workers, all the construction sites, everything that you have going on for you. Not to mention the fact that in part two, we dive into more lawsuits, more things that are happening to Jay Tobin at the same time three boys go missing. Don't miss us on part two of Jay Tobin. From all of us here at the Lost Boys of Hannibal podcast, I'm Frankie Campoletta. And I'm Chris Ketters. We'll be seeing you. Silence is golden, but my eyes still see. Golden, golden, but my eyes still
Lord.